Opinions expressed by this podcast are not representative of our workplaces, families, friends, enemies, pets, or other entities that may associate with us, despite our opinions. Get social with the Unelectables. You can find us on Twitter at Unelectables. And on Facebook at Unelectables Pod. Good evening! Wait, checking my pulse, checking my pulse. We're not dead yet. yet. Not dead yet. I feel much better. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unelectables. Uh, the provincial election is over and we're still alive. I'm still alive. Are you still alive, Kirk? I'm still alive. This is the Unelectables Season 2. Season 2. This time they're coming for blood. Uh, we hope that you guys haven't missed us too much. How could you? Um, we are now into the second month, the second 30 days of the Jason Kenny era in Alberta. The sun seems to have risen. Uh, I've been avoiding marauders in the streets. Uh, I've stocked up on pitchforks and, uh, and torches. Kirk, uh, what have you been doing to, to survive in these uh, first 30 days? Hoarding. Hoarding. Hoarding food. Hoarding water. There we go. Well, if we're called upon to repopulate the province, I am out of luck. So it's up to you, buddy. Ah, crap. All right. Uh, Kirk is going to need some more provisions. Uh, Water and Hot Pockets, probably. I I hear Grape Pop-Tarts are are the thing to get during a disaster. Grape Pop-Tarts? Yes. I had not heard that. You'll have to look that up on Google. There we go. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, we uh, are back. We took a little bit of a hiatus just to clear our minds and cleanse the palate, as you will, after the provincial election, but we're going to jump right back into it. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about. A lot of things have happened, uh, not just in the past few weeks since we last recorded, but also um, just in the month that we were focusing on the uh, Alberta provincial election, we had some stuff going on federally that we're going to talk about, too. However... Before we do any of that, we want to thank once again our great friend Jeremy Klossis from The Sprawl for hosting us on election night. Kirk, I showed up a little bit late. Why don't you tell us about the the Sprawl election night shindig? So The Sprawl, which is a a pop-up journalism uh, site uh, run by Jeremy Klossis, they ran an election night party at the Dandy Brewing Company down in Calgary Southeast. Um, So I was there early and... uh, and there were just a number of fans of, of the sprawl there and uh, just enjoying uh, libations and food and, and watching the election night results come in. Of course, we were live broadcasting there. So I started off by uh, basically talking to myself for uh, for a good hour. And then uh, Joey ended up joining me. And uh, about 15 minutes later, the victory was declared for the uh, for for Jason Kenney's uh, conservatives. And the room kind of cleared out. There you go. Now, we were live streaming at the time. However, those of you who've been paying attention to our feed of our shows will notice that has not shown up. And the reason it has not shown up is because the audio was so terrible 
at the time because there were so many factors. They were clinking glasses. We couldn't get the levels right. Uh, the people in the chat room were helping us out as best they could in the comments. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't something that we felt comfortable uh, archiving and forcing you to listen to. So we, uh, we forewent that. You can still find it uh, on our Facebook page. I'm sure if you look hard enough, that's, uh, what are we on Facebook? Unelectables? Unelectables Pod. Unelectables Pod. There we go. So you can find it there if you really want to, but it's all old news at this point. So why would you want to? But The Sprawl is a truly terrific independent media outlet. Um, there aren't very many of those left now. So they can definitely use your viewership. They can definitely use your support. Um, and in an era where we have headlines like this that just came out earlier today, Post Media has hired former UCP Chief of Staff and Campaign Director Nick Kulsbergen to lobby the Alberta government to discuss ways Post Media could be involved in the government's energy war room. So when you've got government and media working hand in glove, and we see examples of this federally too, now that the federal government's deciding who and isn't who isn't truly media, uh, it's great to have independent media like the Sprawl. So we're uh, we're very lucky to have them as friends of the podcast and uh, and go Sprawl. All right, so so uh, we're now just over thirty days since yeah. uh, Jason Kenney was elected. Um, what are some things that have have transpired already? I mean, I mean, Jason was going to transform the province. Yes. Um, so so what transformations have occurred so far? Well, we've got lots of announcements about what the government's agenda is going to be. Uh, they have announced that they will be going back into session next week. And then they will go up to Stampede. And if they're not done with their legislative agenda by the time Stampede hits, then after Stampede, they will actually uh, resume the sitting. So I don't know in the entire Commonwealth whether we've had a lot of instances where legislative sittings have been interrupted by festivals and rodeos. But in this case, it certainly will happen if it needs to. Uh, aside from that, of course... Um, the, the very first thing that the, the Kenny government was going to do, according to their campaign, and they are following through on it, uh, is uh, to kill the uh, Alberta carbon tax. Uh, it'll be replaced by the federal carbon tax, which Jason has suggested maybe isn't such a bad idea anyhow. Um, although the, uh, the outcome of the court case uh, that Saskatchewan brought against the federal government, challenging the constitutionality of the uh, federal carbon tax, has been... Uh, has been not the result that the provinces were hoping for so far, um, and they're debating whether or not to take that to the next level. However, um, the Alberta carbon tax will be dead at the end of May. Right. So starting June 1st, no more Alberta carbon tax. All right. And then, of course, uh, recently, uh, and by recently I mean la yesterday, I believe, um, the announcement that uh, the Jason Kenney was going, Jason Kenney was going to um, remove the 2004 restriction on alcohol in provincial parks. So this is this is um, you know that a lot of the language around this was that it was prohibition era and that uh, you know it was a, a war on fun. Um, but the fact of the matter is this this was a piece of legislation brought in by the PC government in 2004, and it was designed to help prevent damage and um, and other crimes that were, were happening in, in provincial parks during things like the May long weekend. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, kind of how this plays out in terms of, of 
what happens and and whether whether we kind of go back to that that the issues that we had before. Um, what's also kind of interesting about this is is the the focus on beer, <laughs> and and I say that from from thinking about Ford in Ontario, buck a beer, right? The buck a beer was a part of the campaign strategy, and and so one has to wonder if this is really about you know somewhat solidifying a base. Right, right after the election, not that this is a time where you need to solidify a base, but you create that right at the beginning where people go, oh yeah, remember Jason came in and, and he fixed that, that ban, and of course people aren't going to remember that it was the PCs, people aren't going to necessarily know that it was even something done in the last 20 years. Uh, they're going to look at it and go, you know, Kenny was progressive and, and you know, got got these stupid restrictions lifted, and, and uh, I wonder if that's part of the strategy long term. Well, it could be. I mean, and, and there's an interesting synchronicity, too, because um, you look at Ford and the Buck of Beer, and you look at this announcement by the by the Kenny government, and even if you look at the previous Alberta government under the NDP, uh, there seems to be such a focus lately by provincial governments on beer in general. I mean, Joe Sisi was the finance minister, and he spent more time at photo ops for microbreweries than I think he spent at ATB. Uh, so it, it begs the question, what do these provincial governments know that the rest of us don't know about the power of beer? Beer! <laughs> oh, beer. The first line in every bad decision paragraph. Now, okay, so so other things that have happened since uh, Jason Kenney took office. So, of course, the cabinet was selected. It was. Uh, the cabinet was selected. And not just that, but they've also appointed a lawyer to see if they can fast-track the Springbank Dam project. Um, much of the chagrin, as it turns out, of the local conservative MLA, who was against the Springbank project. But, yes, the, uh, the cabinet was named. Uh, there's a lot of new faces, as you would expect. But for something that's actually fairly unique in Alberta politics, a former minister who then sat as an opposition member, has now uh, won election as a government member again and is taking back his old portfolio. Rick McIver is once again uh, Alberta's Minister of Transportation. So he got the ball rolling on the southwest Calgary Ring Road, signing an agreement with the Sutina Nation, and he is going to be, unless there's a big change, the Minister of Transportation when that project is completed in 2021. Well, that's a good point. Any other cabinet postings that uh, surprise you or, or interesting or, or anything like that? Well, one thing that, that jumped out at me was the fact that, I mean, the cabinet is very Calgary heavy, but that can't really be helped because unless you're going to appoint people to cabinet who are not sitting in the government, which has recent precedent in Alberta, Jim Prentice did it, uh, the reality is that Jason Kenney was working with the pieces that the voters gave him. And overwhelmingly, uh, the voters gave him pieces from Calgary. So that's what he had to deal with. He only got one Edmonton MLA, and that MLA made it into cabinet, but that's that's how the cookie crumbles when you vote that way. Now, um, one thing that I thought was quite interesting, though, was the fact that he didn't name a deputy premier. Right. Now, there was a deputy premier in the last government. It was Sarah Hoffman. And whenever uh, uh, Rachel Notley was unavailable to the press or unavailable in the legislative assembly, Sarah Hoffman would be the, the face of the NDP government. Jason Kenney has elected not to name a deputy premier. 
Uh, which That's not without precedent. It's not at all without precedent. However, it is, it's interesting, but it's not exactly surprising, because Jason Kenney served for a long time at the right hand of Stephen Harper, who also didn't have a full-time deputy prime minister. Um, and it speaks to this idea that you, you let the people underneath you fight it out amongst themselves instead of anointing somebody to be the target-in-chief for all the knives. Right? Because uh, even though everybody's one big happy family, the, as soon as the poll numbers start to move a little bit, you end up in an interesting situation where people start angling to be the next one, to be the next one. Right? And you, you saw that with Paul Martin. Uh, you see that to some degree now in the Liberal Party under Justin Trudeau, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting approach, not altogether unexpected, but, uh, but noteworthy. Now, of course, there's 20, 20 cabinet. Yes. Um, which is more than what the NDP had. Uh, it's slightly more. It's, it's certainly way more than the NDP had in their first cabinet. Sure. Uh, but to, to their, in their defense, when the NDP first formed cabinet, they had a caucus of people who were such political neophytes that they were scrambling to find people who they thought could run these divisions of a $40 billion corporation named the government of Alberta. Now, the uh, United Conservatives had a lot of people with at least the management background to be able to conceivably run these departments, keeping in mind that the cabinet minister themselves doesn't actually so much run the department as give it political direction. It's the deputy ministers who are the senior civil servants who, who, who direct the, the department and make sure the T's get crossed and the I's get dotted. Um, but there's also some, uh, some associate ministries, and one in particular that I was really happy to see is an associate ministry in health, the associate minister of addictions and mental health. And I thought that was a fantastic step forward. It was a campaign promise that the Conservatives made during the election that they followed through on right away, putting a person in cabinet whose main focus was going to be on addictions and mental health. And that's such a dramatic leap forward from even 20 years ago when the general feeling in the public was that uh, addictions was a, uh, it was a criminal issue. It should be sure. something that was dealt with in Solicitor it was, it was General. A, it was a personal choice. Mm -hmm. It right? was a weakness. It was a character flaw. Sure. Right. So the fact that it's being recognized now as a health issue and it's actually being packaged as part of a larger focus on mental health is, I think, a, a positive step forward uh, towards addressing some root causes as opposed to just trying to uh, you know, tell people, hey, get it together and get your life together and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Now, now uh, other things happening in, in Alberta, uh, because it's not just about the Kenny government, it's also about uh, the other parties as well. Now, yeah. now we only elected two parties in, in this election. We did, and the uh, suggestion was made that this is the first time in Alberta that we've ever seen a two-party system. Which is bull. It is bull. In fact, um, we have seen it. Uh, many times. We've seen it in 1993. We saw it in 1982. We saw it in 1963. We saw it in 1913. These are all elections after which there were only two parties in the Legislative Assembly. So we're kind of old hat at this. Right. Now, one of those parties, though, uh, or sorry, one of the parties in the election, not one of the parties that has a seat, 
one of the parties outside of the legislature at this point got 10% of the vote. They did get 10% of the vote. However, because this is a first-past-the-post system, uh, rather than a, uh, a mixed-member proportional or straight-up proportional representation system, the Alberta party, despite having widespread support, didn't manage to get anybody elected into the legislature. So, under the rules of the game that we all agreed to before we start playing, they're just out of luck. Right. And so the Alberta party has been asking for additional tax dollars to represent its voters, to, to represent effectively the people who who uh, supported them and, and to be able to, to maintain uh, being a viable party. Right. But this begs the question, represent them where? Well, and... and I mean, are they going to register as a lobby group? They, they can't speak in the Legislative Assembly. They didn't win any seats. And and I think it's it's about maintaining some some level of, of party strength. I, I mean, there, there's precedent on the the per vote subsidy idea they they've done it federally mm -hmm. um you know one could even argue that part of the reason why the conservative party was able to um eventually join up again and and actually have have some coffers kind of in those early days when reform and 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 that were still like there were still components of of that even though i think at the per vote subsidy if i remember correctly came in about 2004 um, so it was kind of after some of the joining, but you know, there's still, there's still some of that. One could argue that, that, that helped the conservatives at the time. So, um, so certainly there's precedent for a per vote subsidy for parties. Even if that's true though, you can't go back no. and apply it retroactively. No, for sure. Uh, and, and I think the larger question here too, really, that, that the, uh, uh, Alberta party needs to ask well, itself. I, sorry, I, I should interrupt you, Joey. Sure. You can go back um, as long as you go to court and, and make sure you're allowed to go back um, and, and resubmit your paperwork. Well, I suppose that is probably true, at least in the eyes of some who are asking for tax dollars now. However, for the rest of us who don't live in fantasy land, uh, the Alberta Party needs to look itself really hard in the mirror and, and do a full uh, review of its election strategy. Because I think it's pretty clear that while they were speaking to a reasonable and respectable number of Albertans, they did not run campaigns on a local level that were good enough to win. And that's a hard thing to accept, right? There were some good candidates, and they had candidates in every riding, right? Even when you factor in that in the previous election in 2015, they did not have nearly as many candidates, they did grow their per riding vote uh, by roughly 50%, which is great news. However, they went into this election with three MLAs and they came out of this election with zero. And that's a tough, bitter pill to swallow, but it's not the voters' fault because it's never the voters' fault. Well, the, and, and the thing is, I, I think the Alberta Party needs to look at what happened over the last few years mm -hmm. and decide you know, whether or not um, they want to continue with, with some things, whether they want to would they want to change some things? I mean, there's certainly people who who argue that the election of Stephen Mandel as as the leader um, and and effectively tossing Greg Clark to the side was was a tragic misstep. There's something to be said about about the fundraising efforts of the Alberta Party, you know, and and like a year before the election is too late mm -hmm. to be fundraising, and you and I know that from from doing political campaigning. I mean, I mean if. Frankly, if you were a, an Alberta political party right now and you do not hold a seat 
uh, in whatever writing, and that goes for even ones who hold seats in the legislature. If, you know, you should be fundraising. Uh, you should have been fundraising for the last twenty nine days. Yeah. Um, and and should be building your war chest again. So so you know, I, I think there's there's a, a lack of political maturity uh, of that party still that that they they now have the opportunity to go back and maybe look at things and go okay you know we're gonna start you know three months from now which is which is later than it should be but still earlier than than traditionally they have mm-hmm. and maybe they can do something in four years one thing I do want to mention though is um, kind of an interesting thing is is the last few times we've seen a political party grow to the point where they have filled uh, They've, they've put a candidate in every writing. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, those parties have rushed candidates in, and that's where we've gotten bozo eruptions. Mm-hmm. And, and to the Alberta Party's credit, I can't think of a single case where a, an individual candidate made um, a, a misstep when it came to, um, when it came to using the, the, the talking points, using the language, um, and and uh, you know causing the same issues that, for example, when when Wild Rose for the first time had every every seat, you know, he had the Huntsburger MH. We've talked about that lots. Uh, you know, when the Forum expanded out to Ontario, you had John back in Toronto. Like like all these cases where there have been massive expansions of these parties, mm-hmm. uh, there tends to be those bozo eruptions, and, and it didn't seem to be for the Alberta Party this time. Yeah, I mean, so. the message control was actually very admirable, and there were a lot of things that they can take away from that campaign to be proud of. Uh, it didn't start off in the best of ways, and that, frankly, may have cost them enough votes to make a difference in ridings like Calgary Elbow. Um, when you when you look at the fact that you had a you know a handful of candidates, including the leader, miss filing deadlines that every other candidate in the province managed to make, um, but at the end of the day, um, they're in a situation now where and let me just ask you, Kirk, you are now the uh, head of legislative affairs and planning for the uh, United Conservatives. Now, we all know that you are likely to open up some parts of a Democrats reform package in, if not this session, then a future session, to do things like allow parties to transfer funds to each other so you can finally retire the progressive conservative and Wild Rose brands and, and bring that money uh, that's hiding in both bank accounts into the fold. While you're looking at Democratic reforms like that, and maybe uh, touching on the uh, uh, donation limits as well, are you inclined in in any way to help the Alberta party out and give them some tax dollars? Is that a politically astute move that you would consider? Me or <laughs> <laughs> I I mean on one hand you want to do what's best for democracy, right? So so if there's if there's evidence to suggest that per vote subsidies are a good thing uh, for for the health of democracy then then one would hope that that they do it, but let's face it uh, once you're in power, you are going to not, you're not going to necessarily always take away things, but you're probably not going to be really inclined to put in things that necessarily assist your opponents, mm-hmm. right? So, so the idea that they're going to get some sort of per vote subsidy, like it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, the the Conservative Party um, outpolled the the Alberta Party on election night. Five to one. Oh, absolutely. Do you consider them your opposition? Do you consider them a rival party, or are they so small that you're actually inclined to try and keep them on life support 
just because they make it that much harder for the New Democrats or anybody else to knock you off in the end. Oh, that's a really good good point. Um, you know, one could argue, um, I don't believe that vote splitting is a thing. I think people vote in general for what they want and, and giving them more choice is not a bad thing for that. Um, but in the end, you could look at some of the vote counts and go, yeah, I, I mean, the, the Alberta party and the NDP together uh, might have won some, some of the ridings. So certainly in terms of, you know, could this help the conservatives? Absolutely it could. Um, will they do it? I mean, the other thing is it does give legitimacy to it, right? Mm -hmm. And you might want to avoid that at this point. It, it's and, and kind of it's the old, you know, if it's not my idea, then it's a bad idea. Right, until I bring it back as my idea wrapped in my colors. Right. If Now, if, if, if three and a half years from now, uh, the conservatives are polling in the mud, and it looks like the NDP might take it again, um, you might consider things like that to, to maintain some viability. But, I mean, with provincial finances where they are, and the fact that conservative governments are generally loath to spend money uh, when when the, the bottom line of the budget is in the red at the best of time, uh, spending money on politicians seems like a, a no-go zone. Yeah, they're, they're generally going, going to avoid it. Right. All right. Well, that's a quick recap of what's going on in Alberta in the 30 days since the end of the world, at least if you read Twitter. Uh, but I want to repeat again, Twitter is not real life. There are people who are real on Twitter, but just because you read it on Twitter and you read it from 100 people doesn't make it a real thing. So so before we, we move to a larger area, um, to, to talk about the rest of the country uh, and talk about provincial elections, mm -hmm. um, Newfoundland yes. has an interesting situation. So... The Liberals have the most seats, mm -hmm. um, but the PCs, at least as of last night, were not conceding defeat. Okay. Um, they are trying to build a coalition with the Independents and, um, uh, what's the other party in power? The NDP? Um, the, so, so three NDP and two Independents, and they're trying to form a coalition that would uh, counter... The government now the liberals so here's here's where we're like legislative math gets really fun right mm -hmm. because liberals at least as of last night uh look to have won 20 out of 40 seats now this is the most <clears throat> and i'm sorry i i have dear dear friends from newfoundland so forgive me this is the most newfoundland story ever <laughs> because nobody thought it would be a bad idea to have an even number of seats in the Legislative Assembly of Newfoundland. Uh, but all of that said, yes, there are 40 seats. The Liberals have elected 20, elected or leading, 20. The Progressive Conservatives, 15. The NDP, 3. And the Independents, 2. Now, the they have to elect a Speaker. Yes. So here's here's where the other thing comes in is when you bring in a Speaker of the House, typically, uh, although not always, typically it is in the party in power, and that removes a seat from vote, except in tie-breaking situations. Right. So in terms of political power, the, the moment the Liberals 
put one of their own into the speaker chair, now there are actually 19 liberals able to vote on any on any motion. Including uh, a motion of confidence. Exactly. So this is where this gets really complicated. Now, didn't we just see this after the BC election? Where the liberals elected the most members. However, the New Democrats plus the Greens equaled the liberals. And nobody wanted to be speaker. Until finally a liberal broke ranks and said, fine, I'll be the speaker. And was immediately kicked out of the liberal caucus. Because they had functionally triggered the falling of the government. It's one of those cases where, you know, just kind of watching what happened with Newfoundland, and of course I, I, have, a, I have a friend who, uh, and a listener of this show, uh, who, who, is, uh, who has been helping me follow kind of what's been going on, and it's been fascinating. So who was the incumbent government in Newfoundland before dissolution? Oh, now you're going to make me look like an ass. <laughs> I, the only reason I ask this is because it's my understanding in the Westminster system that a tie... It was, it was Crosby, the, the progressive conservative leader. Okay, so a tie typically goes to the government in power to at least try to cobble together enough support to maintain the government. Right, and, that, and that's why they didn't concede defeat. Right, because right. if they can say to the lieutenant governor of uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, we have, uh, we have 20. We, we are able to uh, try and uh, gain the confidence of the House, then at least precedent would suggest that the Lieutenant Governor would allow the Progressive Conservatives to try and form either a formal or informal coalition government, name a cabinet, and bring forward uh, some some confidence bills and some money bills. Right? Yeah. So it's 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 certainly an interesting situation. It's going to be interesting to see by the next podcast um, what has transpired. Absolutely. Well, I, and that's not the only provincial election that has happened uh, in the time since we've been away. We've actually seen other provincial elections elsewhere in Canada, and generally speaking, these are not going very well for the more progressive parties. I mean, look, calling a spade a spade, the Liberal Party, right? Uh, with a couple notable exceptions elsewhere in Alberta, uh, or uh, rather elsewhere in the country, uh, most of these competitions tend to be Conservatives versus Liberals, Conservatives versus Liberals. And the Liberals are losing a lot of these provincial governments. Yeah. So uh, that, that probably says a lot as to what we are going to be foreshadowing uh, five months from now, right? Which is, which is the, the federal election. And, of course, this is the federal election that, um, after Justin Trudeau's first term mm -hmm. uh, in government, and, of course, there has been a lot going on in terms of the Trudeau government oh, has uh, in the last few weeks. <laughs> yes, since we last talked about them and suggested that maybe this SNC-Lavalin thing would just blow over and it wasn't really a thing, a couple things have happened. I mean, the most important being, of course, that Justin Trudeau was on The Simpsons. Uh, correction. <laughs> it wasn't Justin Trudeau. <laughs> the character of Justin Trudeau was on The Simpsons, but he was played by friend of the podcast. Lucas Meyer. Is he friend of the podcast? He's a friend of the podcast. All right. Lucas is a great guy. Lucas is a great guy. Actually, so so as a bit of an aside, he has, if, if you go onto YouTube and look up Lucas Meyer uh, impressions, he has an impressions reel. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he does Don Cherry and, and things like that. And, and some of his impressions are, are pretty good. Some of them, you know, need some work. The the one two things that struck me. One, his Justin Trudeau mannerisms are amazing. Like just watching him do Trudeau uh, is something else entirely. Like you do actually lose some of that when you watch that Simpsons episode. Or, you know, the clip, because let's face it, Simpsons hasn't been good for years. Um, but but if you listen to his Nahed Nenshi impression, and you put the, you, you ignore the screen, you just listen to it, it is creepy how accurate it is. It, well, yeah, and right, it's, it's one of those, uh, one of those impersonations where you can totally see that this person could make a career of just doing that one character. I mean, the, there are some uh, famous comedians and, and famous showbiz types who do some really good impersonations, too. Uh, I think the best of all time, to my mind, is Kevin Pollack's William Shatner. And, and Lucas's Nenshi is right there. Oh, it's with 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 the Polak Shatner. It's creepy. Like I've had people listen to it and not know that it's Lucas Meyer, mm-hmm. and it's you know they they can't believe it's not not an engine. Yeah. So. Well, but uh, anyways, as an aside, so so um, so other things that have happened outside of the Simpsons episode. Yeah. So that, we've got 157 days to the federal election. Nothing has gone on. Justin Trudeau is going to skate to a second term. Yes. E- no. No. Okay. What's been going on? <laughs> Well, I mean, as as we said before, there have been a lot of conservative governments being elected provincially, right? Mm-hmm. So there there is a swing of the pendulum uh, towards the conservative movement again. Now, is that a nationwide swing, or is that just a rebalancing? Because we saw this the last time we had a conservative federal government, where a lot of progressive liberal and NDP governments ended up getting elected provincially. Right. I mean, I mean, the Canadians ND- tend to like that counterbalance. The NDP got elected in Alberta the same same year that the Liberals got elected federally, right? Like yeah. the NDP got elected in BC, yep. uh, defeating the Liberals. And it, as they can only do in BC, the Liberal Party is conservative, and the NDP is kind of centrist. But they're far left now because of the Greens. It's a whole thing. Let's not get bogged down in it. So, so yeah, it could be a rebalancing. It could be just a, a swing back of the pendulum. But for whatever for whatever reason, we are seeing uh, this resurgence of these conservative parties. Mm-hmm. So. Already, Sheer has that going for him, and then of course, um, with with the Jody Wilson Raybould situation uh, with SNC Lavalin, and with the uh, with the situation um, that that has happened recently that has caused the clerk of the Privy Council to resign. I mean, like there's there's these scandals or or seeming scandals mm-hmm. um, that that seem to be plaguing the Trudeau government in the five-month window before an election, which right. is not the time you want scandals to happen. No, this is just the wrong time, in fact, because the reality is people don't pay attention to politics during the summer. So while we may have five months on the calendar right. until this election, in reality, there's about two months' attention span, right? There's the month between now and when the kids get out of school, and there's the month after the kids get back from school, and then it's the election, baby. So... You've really only got two months left to, to sort of turn the uh, uh, turn the ship around, and what people are seeing is they're seeing resignations from the Trudeau uh, cabinet. They're seeing his caucus then turfing these people. P- 
public sentiment is overwhelmingly on the side of Jody Wilson-Raybould and on Jane Philpott, who resigned in solidarity with her. Right. Uh, the Greens are, are uh, trying to woo them to come over there, and the Greens just got great news from a by-election in Nanaimo. That's right. Uh, which should have been a, a, an easy win for the Liberals there. Um, it's it's a just a bunch of bad situations snowballing into a worse and worse look uh, to the point where um, it's looking like there are a lot of people in the Liberal Party who are starting to say, I'm not so sure, which considering how high they were on their electoral fortunes and on the outcome of the last federal election just three years ago is mind-boggling. You just end up gobsmacked that things could have gone so wrong in really just the last few months. And and it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with the province of Quebec, right? Mm -hmm. Because because one could argue that, that part of the keeping the SNC-Lavalin thing alive, which is, has not been good political strategy for the rest of the country, one has to wonder if this is part of a, a Quebec strategy. Because let's face it, we know federally... If you control Ontario and Quebec, then you control the government, right? Yeah. Like so, you know, you don't need the problem, you don't need the prairies, you don't need the Maritimes. Effectively, you can do it with just Ontario and Quebec. Mm -hmm. So, so I don't know if this is this is an attempt to to maintain some of that that those Quebec votes, but but certainly it doesn't look good to the rest of the country. Um, and the other issue is is the NDP. I'm not sure is really poised to take those progressive votes either. Well, it, it looks like they're having trouble. Uh, they're having trouble fundraising. They're having trouble really motivating their traditional base. Now, their new leader Jagmeet Singh is appealing to a wide variety of, of uh, you know uh, urban uh, voters. However, at the end of the day, um, he's not appealing to those old uh, uh, old dyed in the wool. Ed Broadbent-style New Democrats. Right. Uh, and that is the cohort, of course, we talk about this every time, that is most likely to actually come out and vote. You know at the end of the day, every conservative between the ages of 60 and 105 is going to come out and vote for Andrew Scheer. But how many New Democrats between 60 and 105 are going to come out and vote for Jagmeet Singh? Well, and, and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, with voter turnout this federal election. Because I think it's the first time uh, in my recent memory that we've seen a federal election where one party seems to have so much dominance going into the election, mm -hmm. right? Like, typically what happens in a federal election is the liberals and conservatives are both in contention. Mm -hmm. um, they both tend to have, you know, decently strong leaders. You know, one could argue how strong they are, but decently strong leaders and they they both go in and they both have their 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 territories which which they tend to control. Uh, this is the first time I think I've seen it where where one is so in such a poor situation. You know, like the last time last time I can think of when one party looked like they they effectively collapsed was nineteen ninety three. Right. Right. When when uh, they the they went from from being the government in power. To having very few seats, uh, that was the. Uh, I think they ended up with two seats, didn't they? That they was, did. That was the election that functionally, effectively killed the federal progressive conservative. Party. Yeah. So, so I feel like like it feels like we're going into something like that again, like that that we're about to see the collapse of the Liberal Party of Canada. Now maybe it's time, right? Um, 
the joke federally is always that they are the natural governing party of Canada, right? So, so, you but know, so were the progressive conservatives in Alberta, and they could not survive one election loss. But, but then, but then the progressive conservatives, when they when they lost in Alberta, uh, they regrouped the split parties and and they got together. Same thing federally, right? Like in in 1993, um, you know, after that collapse, that started. Uh, the movement, it took a long time, but it started the movement towards reform and the progressive conservatives uh, coming back together in 1999 under the uh, the crap party um, moniker, um, which then eventually morphed again. But, um, but you know, it, it's the type of thing where, you know, maybe the Liberal Party fractures. Well, we're seeing cracks in it already. I mean, let's not forget, and this is the kind of thing we pay attention to here in Alberta, the um, the Senate of Canada actually voted down the tanker ban bill. Right, C-48. Yeah, that just happened in the past couple of days. So uh, it, the Senate, which is uh, a majority liberal, now it wasn't the whole Senate, in fairness, it was just a committee thereof, yep. but they actually took this bill that had passed the House of Commons, uh, I think a week prior, and said, you know what, we've talked about it, we've looked at it, we've been listening to people around the country, we don't like it. We're not going to sign off on this. And that is a stinging rebuke of one of the landmark pieces of legislation that Justin Trudeau was hoping was going to seal his electoral fortunes for the better in, on, uh, in British Columbia. Right. And, and even the things that are going well for Canada right now are not going to be enough to save the Liberal Party. Right? Like, of course, announced today, uh, steel tariffs. Right? And, and really good news. In, in fact, kind of what Canada has been asking for along with steel tariffs has effectively happened, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be good for manufacturing. Um, but it's not going to be enough to, to float the Liberal Party to victory, right? Like, the, they, need, they need a complete ship turnaround in five months. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to your point, they don't have the summer. So they've got to basically turn things around in June, and then they've got to really be going full steam ahead um, in the other direction come September. Now, do you think they have the horses? And what I mean by that is um, a lot of the old school liberals, the Chrétien era liberals, who knew how to play dirty and win. And we don't like it, but every party needs those operatives. A lot of those people seem to be taking the step back, wait and see approach with this, with this new kid to see how he deals with the pressure of all of this stuff that's coming up. Are they going to re-engage with the liberals uh, in order to, to save the Trudeau government? Or are they willing to let Trudeau uh, uh, fall on his own sword and be the first single-term government federally since... Uh, 1980. Yeah. Shout out to Kristen. But Joe Clark. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so the first in almost 40 years to win election, get your party uh, elected, and then lose the next time people go to the ballots. Um, are, are, are those old school liberal uh, operatives willing to let that happen and willing to take the risk of perhaps four years of Andrew Scheer? Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't think... I don't see at this point them getting involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is to some degree too late. Well, and let's not forget, of course, the uh, the media and their notorious liberal bias 
Um, every single major daily endorsed the conservatives in the last election. So uh, look at all those uh, liberal biases in the fake news media. Wow. Yeah, media is definitely the enemy there. So before we cut things off this week, Kirk, uh, I want to ask you, first of all, very important question. Online voting. Okay, yeah. A great idea or the greatest idea? Uh, so an article just came out a few days ago um, that the Swiss voting system, um, a group of hackers, uh, ethical hackers, right, but they were given access to a limited amount of code mm -hmm. and found a massive flaw where one party with enough uh, physical access, uh, mainly the Swiss Postal Service, um, could actually change every vote in the system. Um, so let's go with uh, neither. Well, you know, you have to pick one. We're at war, choose a side. Well, I'm going to choose to do this via online voting and pick option C. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, now, you have experience running for federal office. Yep. We have, as of the recording of this episode, 157 days, basically until the polls close in BC. Because uh, it's just about nine mountain time here. In the 157 days you have between now and the closing of polls in British Columbia in the next federal election, Words of wisdom for people who know for sure they will be a candidate for office, party or independent. You need to get out and door knock. Um, summertime, you know, people are out lots, so, so you're not going to hit a tremendous amount of doors. But, you know, you have the ability to to at least get to some doors and, and get out there while it's nice and warm. Um, you have, you know, lots of people are outside. Uh, certainly when I was door knocking in the summer, because the election I, I was in was in an October election. Um, people are outside. I actually, you know, funny story, maybe story for another time. I ended up uh, chatting with, uh, at the time, quarterback Dave Dickinson. Oh. Um, randomly running into him on, on one of my door knocks. Uh, and he was out on the lawn. Of course, uh, being an American citizen, couldn't, couldn't vote. But we actually had a really good discussion about U.S. and Canadian politics. But, you know, that this is where you can get out to uh, to see people. Uh, there's lots going on in the community, so you have the opportunity to, you know, have something. You know, you can't advertise really all that much, but at least a name tag and, you know, meet people. Got let people know you're, you're running. Um, summer's a great opportunity to do that. People aren't thinking election, but when September hits, they're going to remember, you know, talking to that, that really nice person. Uh, who who is is running and and it gives you some opportunity to to even get some practice because the moment that the election writ happens, um, you basically want to be door knocking you know pretty much twenty four seven. Mm -hmm. uh, so so getting some of those kinks out too is really nice, right? Like you know like oh I stumbled when I answered that, you know how can I tighten up that message and that? So it's a good opportunity to tighten up the message and to to kind of get used to uh, walking very, very quickly. Absolutely. Well, and right, Stampy Breakfast is a great chance to press the flesh. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's you got to get out there and knock on those doors. And when you bump into somebody who says, I can't vote, I, I like you, but I'm an American citizen, I'm a landed immigrant, I'm, I'm whatever, I can't vote, uh, great. Can you put up lawn signs? Can you, uh, can you volunteer for me? There's Absolutely. no limit on that. So. Absolutely. There's lots of things they can do. They can tell their friends. You know, the, um, there's something to be said. Uh, one of, I met uh, I met one person when I was out in 2008 uh, who invited me to their house with a number of of their friends. Mm -hmm. 
and we got to chat policy one night and and so you know doing things like that and even even if you can't vote for somebody uh, being able to to host the candidate of your choice and, and introduce them to other people uh, is also a really great thing. Great. And you, yeah, like you said, you got to work out the kinks. So you heard it here from Kirk first. Don't be kinky. Now, uh, until the next time, I have been the Enlightened Savage, Joey Oberhoffner. And I am Kirk Schmidt. And we are, as always, the Unelectables. Unelectable.